who is experienced in the art of speaking to youngsters or young stars and youth. He has a skill that maintains discipline that he learnt back in the day, some form of martial arts, keeps them all under control. So I would just like you to please put your hands together and welcome Mr. Stephen Payton to the stage. Good morning. How are we all doing? Good. Should have sorted this earlier. There we go. Um, I'm going to bring a short word this morning. Um, we're going to focus on the story of Samson. And I've titled the sermon Mayday, Mayday, which is a distress call that pilots make when they're in a, a difficult or tricky possibly catastrophic situation, the Mayday call is made um, over the radio. So that is the, the title today, and we'll get there right towards the end as we're landing the plane, as they say, when you're speaking. So <laughs> that's where the title comes from. So um, I had this talk um, kind of prepared for a while for the youth, because with the youth, you can just throw anything at them, and they're tough. They're tough young people, and they can take it, and they, they take it in their stride. And we always think we're tough as youth leaders, but when they preach, they're even tougher. So that comforts us that we're never too hard. Um, so this um, word today, just to explain it so that we're, it's coming from the right spirit, is not to um, condemn or to make anyone feel bad or anything. I, I kind of looked at it like a, a little spiritual MOT um, as we put our cars in each year, it gets a safety check to ensure that it's safe to use for ourselves and for other people, that there's nothing majorly wrong with it that can cause any situation. So that's, this sermon is kind of written with the same intentions, um, and it might get a little bit um, uncomfortable at times, uh, if I'm honest, but um, hopefully it's spoken in the right spirit and you'll get it the way that I intend to deliver it. So. Samson, as many of you know, was a, a man who's found in Judges 13 to chapter 16, and he was dedicated to God as a baby. His parents struggled to have a child, and an angel appeared with her familiar stories, and they said that he would, they would be, give birth to a, a boy, and they were to set him apart. He was a Nazarite. He was not to get his hair cut. He was, he was not to um, drink or eat certain foods, and um, the, the strength of Samson was in his hair. God gave him this enormous strength um, to help him carry out his calling, which was to rescue Israel from the Philistines. So, the Philistines were fierce warriors, and they had a great advantage over Israel in numbers, but they were also very skilled and making weapons out of iron. So they were, they were advanced people. They were, um, they were wise. They, they had their technology. Everything was above what Israel could offer. And they were... So Samson was given this... He was a, a judge, and he was um, there for the purpose of rescuing Israel from them. So, as was said, to help him accomplish this, he was given this enormous physical strength, the secret 
was in his hair. So, um, despite the Philistines hating Samson, they had this incredible respect for him because his strength was like no others. I, I go to the gym some, some, some weeks, some, should be some, day, some weeks when I get there, um, if I've had a full night's sleep. And um, there's some big guys in the gym, and I, I, I look at what they lift, and it's, I'm nowhere. I'm, I'm, I'm at the top. I go for the tone, and I'm not a, a bodybuilder by any means, but it kind of gives you a, a little picture of what Samson must have been like. I mean, he could tear, he, he on one occasion, tore the, the jaw off a lion with his bare hands, and on another occasion used um, the carcass to kill thousands of men. I mean, he was, uh, not only was he strong, he must have been, to tackle a lion, he must be incredibly brave or stupid, one of them, I'm not sure. But he probably took these things in his stride because he was filled with the Spirit of God. And the Philistines had this incredible respect for him, and they feared him, and he was a big problem to them. And what I love about the Bible, although it comes under much... um, it gets challenged much, and I hear a lot of people say to me when I speak of the Bible that it contradicts itself and it's not accurate. And what I love about the Bible is its honesty, because God has called Samson for a purpose, to rescue his people. He's given him this gift of strength, but it doesn't make any attempt to hide his failures and his weaknesses. And we read about these things of the, the lust and he um, at one point was with a prostitute, and he just constantly got himself into bother. And the Bible makes no attempt to hide that for our benefit, I'm sure. It makes no attempt to disguise him as an angel. No attempt whatsoever. And he violates God's law over and over as you read through the three chapters. Samson was controlled by sensuality. I've been worrying about saying that word. I had to get it right sensuality. (laughs) He confided in the wrong people, and he used his gifts unwisely. And despite his mistakes and his errors, he's still listed in the Hall of Faith in Hebrews 11. Eventually, after shaming, embarrassing, and terrorizing his enemies, he gave away his secret to a lady called Delilah, his lover. He's been married, and then now he was going to get married, and then he finds this lady, and he, um, he gets caught up in the, the lust and the charm, and she tries to make several attempts to find out where his strength came from, and the reason being is that she was going to get paid over a thousand pieces of silver from five different people each if she could find out where his strength came from. So he kept making a bit of fun of this. I think he was a practical joker, and he kept kidding her on and kidding her on. But she kept going at him and and going at him and going at him and and trying to wear him down and break him down. And eventually, after having heard it so much, he, he gave in and he said to Delilah that the strength, my strength, comes from my hair. It's never been cut. And uh, that's where the, the secret to my strength is. So Delilah then reports this back to these guys, and, she, and she, she cuts his hair off. And he wakes up when these guards come in to get him, 
And I'd imagine there was an element of composure because you'd be thinking, here we go again, another attempt to try and get me. But this time, God, it says in the Bible that God had, he realized that God had left him. His hair was cut. He had no strength. And they bound him and they gouged out his eyes. They chained him and they led him to Gaza and they put him in a prison where he was left to grind grain. And uh, the Philistines, they, they parted and they celebrated and this was a great victory for them because thousands of their men had been killed. Their, they had land and, and fields of crops. You can read about it, it torched. And he was just a great nuisance to them. And now they've got him. They've gouged out his eyes. And they worship their god, Dagon. Now... Alan spoke of faith names last week, and I've wondered what mine could be. And then I realized for the last year, my daughter's been calling me Diggin, Diggin. And I've been praying. <laughs> There's no connection to that. <laughs> no connection. So I'm going to have to teach her to say daddy a bit more. <laughs> so, so you can imagine Samson, I, I, this, you know what he had, this strength and this power and everybody feared him. It must be nice to have a bit of that sometimes and be the, the big guy and stuff. And he had all that. He had the Spirit of God filled him up with this enormous supernatural strength, if you like. And here he is, once a feared warrior, a man of God, an anointed, given supernatural strength, suddenly becomes a weak and broken man and he's at the hands of his enemies, where he's probably mocked and, and abused and, and all sorts. He can see nothing. His eyes have been gouged out. How horrific that must be to be, have something like that done to you. Um, and we read further on, see the, the story of Samson. You could make many different stories. And where I want to go with this this morning is from the point of view of the Philistines. See, they've got their enemy They've got him after so many attempts to get him. They have finally, finally got their man. And he's in there. He's, he's with them. He's bound, you know. And they begin to get a little comfortable with Samson. Now, in the previous attempts of trying to get him, they would send an army of men to take this one man. And you can probably imagine... 10, 20, 30, 40 guys on the previous attempts when Del he was tricking Delilah and saying, well, my strength is in this, this, and that, and so he was winding them up. You could probably imagine them saying, you go, and him saying, no, you're bigger, you go. Yeah, but you're faster, you go. That's the kind of man Samson must have been to them. And now he's in their He's there with them, he's, he's bound, and they've got a little bit comfortable with their once feared enemy being in their house. They've become very, very comfortable. And it says in verse 22 that before long, Samson's hair began to grow back. And that, as we've already said, was where his strength came from. So they became so familiar with their enemy that they didn't acknowledge. Maybe they forgot, maybe they got that little bit complacent, something we speak about. And so this once feared man who they would get 
soldiers and warriors and elite men to try and take down. It says that they had a festival and they were celebrating their victory, that they actually let young children lead their once feared enemy by the hand and bring him out so that he could entertain them. He used to kill them. He used to terrorize them. And now they're bringing their enemy out for entertainment, led by the hands of their young children. And then we read that Samson says to the young servant who leads him out, place my hands on these two pillars. So he gets one hand on one pillar and his other hand on the other pillar. And he cries out to God, Father, fill me with your spirit one last time. I've spoken about this when I've convened before, but this is the full story. He says, fill me with your spirit one last time so that I can get revenge on my enemies. And in that moment, Samson begins to push on the pillars. Now, there are thousands and thousands of people at this event. It says that there was 3,000 alone sitting on the roof watching as they were going to mock and go and all sorts of different things with their enemy. And he brings down the house and kills everybody, including himself. And that short three chapters is the end of Samson. Although, as we said, he's mentioned in Hebrews 11. And what I want to focus on this morning is that exact illustration that Satan, our enemy, he wants to bring down the pillars of each one of our lives. He wants to bring down our house and our marriage, our whatever, our careers. He, you know, whether you're sitting here just now as a Christian or somebody who's maybe you're an atheist, maybe you're in, in the middle and not sure, he hates each one of us just the same. There's no difference in how much he hates me as to how much he hates somebody over there to somebody over there. Satan is evil, he's nasty, he's a liar, and he's a thief. And he wants to get into our homes and be as destructive as Samson was to the Philistines in, in Judges 16. It, the pillars that he wants to bring down is our relationship with God. And when we speak about the relationship with God, we're talking about our prayer life. That's relationship with God is when we pray, not for five minutes a week or for when you need bailed out of a situation or you're a bit, something's going on and suddenly I need to pray. It should be a, a, a constant and consistent and communicating between your Father in heaven and yourself. Praying for yourself, there's nothing wrong with that. Praying for your family, praying for your friends, praying for your unsafe friends, praying for your church, praying for ministry, praying for your pastors, praying constantly. That is relationship with God. Reading our Bibles, I'm going to come on to that later on, is an essential for anybody who wants to grow in God. I used to grow up as a young boy. I wasn't a Christian at the point. I had a Bible, and sometimes a wee thought would drop into my head that why not read it? And I would just instantly dismiss it. And here I am now, 32 years old. I wish I'd listened to that thought that dropped into my head. I wish I had wisdom back then when I was a teenager. Maybe I could have avoided some situations and had a bit more wisdom for what was going on around me. So reading our Bibles is essential in our relationship with God. Worship 
How incredible to worship, to stand free and give praise and thanks to God. It sets us free. It does something good inside our souls to worship God. And to speak of Him as well to your, to your friends and to be bold and, and, and nail your colors to the mast and telling people, I am a Christian. Speaking to your Christian friends as well and what God's doing in your life is all part of relationship with God. Giving generously, building His kingdom, reaching out to those who suffer and cannot do things for themselves, maybe in third world countries or war-torn countries where they depend on people, brothers and sisters of in, in God to, to reach out with compassion as they would probably do for each one of us if the roles were reversed. Tithe and offering, the Bible speaks of as well, is relationship with God, the discipline of giving and, and seeing our church reach out, not just in our country, but to many others as well. Attending church, not hit and miss, not turning up every three months, but attending church. Um, I hear people that, when, you know, if, if they're busy or things, you know what, I'm just going to sack church for a while, I'm just going to take some time out. It's the first place we should be going. It's the first place we should be. It's the first place we should want to be, in the presence of God, with brothers and sisters, worshiping, building one another up, learning from one another, not straying and going away for six months and losing our fire and our passion. I heard somebody say one time that it just takes three weeks to lose it, three weeks away from church, and you maybe, it depends on your background, I understand, but I heard somebody say it can just take maybe somebody whose faith not yet on a solid foundation, three weeks away from church, and they could possibly find themselves out of that. And serving as well, given the gifts that God's given us and serving the church, serving the people around us, not being about ourselves. That is relationship with God, all those bullet points. And that's the very thing that Satan wants to destroy. And another thing he wants to destroy is our sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. He wants to destroy the sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. The sensitivity is when somebody might suggest you do something or, or, or maybe there's a temptation comes upon and then it's like, no, but wait, that's not right. That sensitivity to the Holy Spirit, hearing his voice, and I'm going to go through some examples and it might get a little bit bumpy, but it will end well. So we have to be careful that we do not become comfortable with our enemy. Never forget he wants to kill, steal, and destroy everything about your life. So we can never be comfortable with that thought. We can never be relaxed. We have to be on guard. And that's where reading the Bible trains us and teaches us and helps us avoid making those grave mistakes. And I want to mention a few things that the list could be endless, but I always say when somebody preaches, they're not, there's no angel stands up here and preaches a word that, because they've mastered it and they've, they've nailed it and like, you know, that's not an issue for me. So I'm just going to stand up here and point the finger. That is never the intention. What I always say to the youth is if I'm preaching on something, it's either because I've, I'm going through it or I've been through it myself. So I'm just being honest that the things I'm going to speak about are some issues that I have also been battling as well because we're human beings. Just because I've got a microphone and I'm on a platform two feet higher than you does not make me an angel and I do not intend to come across like that. But there are some things in our lives when we become Christians that need to be tweaked and changed. When I became a Christian, I, I used to, I was a, an apprentice plumber at the time I became a Christian and I went to work 
um, one day, and, and I saved in a church in Glasgow, and the excitement was there, and the buzz was there, and, and I fully understood that I'd been saved, and I knew what I'd been saved from, but I didn't really know where to go from there, because none of my friends were Christians, and the church I got saved to was away through in Glasgow. And I remember fitting a shower tray, and, I, and they're pretty tricky things to fit, and I couldn't get the, the trap to go on and I was getting more and more frustrated and more and more frustrated and more and more frustrated until I just gave up and I picked up my hammer as I used to do regularly and most guys in the building site will do as well. I'm just going to tell you their sins. Pick up a hammer and go to whack the floor in anger and frustration. And I would normally have swore in that moment, but just that week I'd been saved. And so I went to hit the hammer and the word was on the tip of my tongue. It was right there. And I paused and thought, wait a minute, I've just given my life to Jesus. I cannot be swearing any longer. And then all of a sudden there was no anger and no desire to smash this hammer off the floor. And I used to always say to myself, I swear when I get angry. But I realized in that moment that I'm probably getting angry because I'm swearing. And that was one of the things that the Holy Spirit began to convict me on right in the beginning. And it used to crush me to hear if I heard other people with a faith swearing. It used to really crush me and think that it's not right that people are, are followers of Jesus and speaking like this. And there's many other things that I had to change as well. But there's, because I'm speaking about Samson and we're speaking about how he was in the enemy's home, if you like, I want to speak about how the enemy can get into our homes. And I want to just kind of focus on our kids as well when we're talking about this stuff. But I know that many of you grown up from young kids now, some people sitting here all different ages would probably say, the things that are on television now would never have been on television when I was younger. Would I be right in saying that? You know, some of the things that are allowed on television now would be, would be horrendous to have seen on television 15 years ago. And again, is another illustration that we become too comfortable with what's on. And I'm not attacking television, the internet, Facebook, all these things. I'm just, it's just a, a, a little sermon on possibly how we can tighten up and stop the enemy from getting in. I don't want anyone to go and sell their televisions today unless anyone's selling a 50-inch Sony Bravia. <laughs> I'm desperate to get my hands. Man United, it would be like the theater of dreams in my living room. Do not go home and sell your televisions or throw out your radios or whatever. I'm not, I'm not saying the devil is everything. That's not where this is coming from. I have friends who are brethren. They obviously, they don't, they don't read papers and they don't watch television. They're allowed on the internet, but I believe their, their, um, their access to the, the internet is, is monitored by elders in their church, I believe. And it's a bit wacky, you know, some of the guys that I work with are like, what's that all about? But to be honest, I can see a little bit of sense in it as well, that they are protecting themselves from worldly ways and what may be getting into their homes. So television, what kind of stuff are we watching? You know, I want, do you know that um, Top of the Pops, does that still go, Top of the Pops? <laughs> it's finished. <laughs> Spotify has killed it. Top of the Pops, and what's the old one? Top of the Pops 2. That's like the, the like, ABBA. I've I seen this on television last week. That's why my TV needs to be switched off. ABBA was singing, right? 
and there was all these young girls, and it's top of the pops. I don't know what day they used to show it on. It was a, it was a Sunday, Thursday. Things did change. And there was these girls dancing, young girls dancing. They were just loving it. They were, you know, Abba's just right here on the stage, there, there. And I don't think I've seen one bit of flesh, if I'm honest. I'm just going to speak. I didn't see one single bit of flesh. i just seen people enjoying singing and people enjoying dancing. And now I see you just see nothing but almost nudity, full nudity in videos. It's, it, it, it's designing costumes that can reveal almost everything without revealing what um, is inappropriate. I've seen, you see it's videos on these things where it's, you'll see maybe girls lying in bed together. I mean, all these things that, that, that seem innocent, but it's just MTV, just the music. I'm just enjoying the music, but what do we actually, what is getting into our homes? Again, I'm not, I just want us to, to bring a little bit of wisdom if I, if I can do that. And um, also, Also, the internet as well, smartphones and devices. How do we use them as Christians? Do you know on your, um, we can access many things. I mean, I'm using mine to preach, so they're not all bad. I'm using mine to preach. I've got access to my Bible on my iPad, and I can put it on some notes, and I, and I can read from it. So, yeah, they're, they're not bad. They're not the devil. iPads, and I, I think Ian Thompson would say iPads are the devil, but shockers. <laughs> the internet. Do you know there's websites now that encourage you to have an affair because you only live once? Who would speak a thing like that into your mind? Somebody who wants to get their hands on your pillars and bring your life crashing down as families are destroyed and broken by um, adultery and fornication and all these things. Families, kids losing their parents, watching bitter divorces. Because somebody thinks that to make money is, the, is the, the whole idea. Where does it come from? Where does that motive come from? And, 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 to, and to, to click off a button to access pornography. Young, I used to listen to the site agent and his son was 11. And he was, he was seen on the history that his son was accessing porn. He's like, well, do you know what? He's just a young boy. He's got to go through it. Nah, I, I will never let, have that, hopefully have that attitude with my kids. If I ever seen them at 11... What, what's going on with that kind of stuff and that laid-back attitude as Christians to be tight and not let the enemy into our home. And on our devices, where, it, where you click on the pages and you can open several different windows, it's got a private button. But many people just call that a porn mode because nobody can see what you've been up to. That's what it's called, private. It's not private. I use it if I'm wanting to buy Zara a birthday present because whatever I Google goes on her history. Whatever I, so if I, if I want to buy Zara a present, I use that. But has it been used by people to access things? And, 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 and so we're living a double life where we're Christians and it does go on and people confess and come clean that these things do happen. We watched a, 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 a program a while ago, it was about the occult and stuff. And this lady said that her son spent hours and hours in his room on the internet. And she just assumed he was, up, he was harmless. He was just doing what young guys do. He was doing his homework. He was on Facebook, whatever. But he'd actually got in touch with a website. And I'm not really sure the purpose of it, but he, he, be, he became emotional 
and he became an easy target, and he started to explain his life situation to some stranger on the internet. And this stranger on the internet was um, claiming that his mother and father were the issue, that they were evil, that had the, because they pushed the cat away, that they were evil, evil people. And the reason that he was distressed and the reason he was crying out on the internet is because he had nobody to go to. And so what happened was this boy continues, continued every night to communicate and speak, and he got more and more and more involved to the point where he'd switched off from his family altogether. He disowned, he hated, and he disowned his parents. He left a note and says, you will never see me again, and you will never speak to me again. And the lady said in the interview, had I have known what was going on in my son's bedroom, I would never, ever, ever have allowed it. We need to be on guard how the devil gets into our homes. Are our kids surfing the net and are they getting involved or possibly groomed? We hear of these things. Is it all happening in our house? Are we monitoring and taking responsibility as, the, as, our, as parents of our children and teenagers as well? My daughter's one and a half and I kind of feel like I can't speak on this stuff because your kids are a lot older, but it's something that I wanted to speak to the youth about to to, to be sharp and to be on our toes as well. So I also thought as well that our smartphones and devices, if uh, how comfortable would we be to see our, our history being displayed up on that screen in front of everyone? And more importantly, how comfortable would we be if it was before God? Are we using, have we slipped in our faith, have we become um, a little bit too complacent and let the enemy in and our, our standards have dropped just a bit? It says in Hebrews 4, verse 12 to 13, For the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. And this is an important bit here. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes, and he is the one to whom we are accountable. Nothing can be hidden from God, and everything about us is wide open to his all-seeing eyes. And I say that to, to, to remind us the fear of God that we should have in these situations. None of us are perfect, but that fear of God the fear of God, and the temptation is not wrong. We all come under temptation, but what we then do with it from then is the important bit. And I, I, I have no intentions for anyone to leave here feeling condemned and convicted and beat up maybe because their kids are doing this, this, and that. Do you know the movie Home Alone? I love Home Alone. In fact, they've never made a movie like it ever since. Home Alone. I was born at the right time. Home Alone. Kevin wakes up and his house is empty. It was at first a bit daunting for him, but then he realized how exciting this is going to be. They're gone, the brothers, the sisters, the mom telling me to tidy up, they've all gone. And it's a great movie and he starts to um, take on the responsibilities of running a house and uh, he picks up that something's not right. He picks up the evil in the form of two daft thieves is trying to get into his home. And as just a young boy, you've probably all seen it, 
when he stands there, and if I've got it right, he's at the back door of the house, he's got his brother's air rifle, <laughs> and he cocks it, and he said, this is my house, I have to defend it. And that's the attitude that us Christians should have as well over our families and over ourselves, that this is my house and I have to defend it. I'm not letting Satan in. I'm not letting these pillars be brought down. I'm not letting my family be affected. The Mayday Mayday call, maybe the band could come up. That would be great. The Mayday, Mayday call. First of all, I, I want to go back to that, Kevin, that this is my house and I have to defend it. Because I want to speak to uh, the, the men and the, and the women in here and, and because we've got this responsibility and, and specifically, I want to speak to the guys here from a, a guy's point of view that, that we've got a responsibility to set a spiritual bar in our home, a responsibility to, to set the pace, if you like, and, and as equally, I, I do understand, um, for both parents. But there's this massive responsibility to set the pace. You see, if we don't pray, if our kids don't see us praying, what about saying grace? As are they, 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 we set an atmosphere of worship in our home, and maybe that's not possible for everyone because uh, our, our partners are not Christians themselves and they don't like it, I understand. But we've got this responsibility to be just like Kevin and say that this is my home and I'm going to defend it. It's about taking ownership and leadership, and it's about taking the authority to set some standards and, and raise the bar and set the pace for our kids. Many of you seen... Um, this week, the plane that, that went on fire on um, it went on fire in Las Vegas. It was bound for London, and praise God that never happened during takeoff. Praise God that fire never broke out when it was in the air. Um, it's a miracle that nobody was killed, and uh, it was great to read off the story of the professionalism of the cabin crew and the captain as, as he made these mayday, mayday call. This is an emergency. We've got to get everybody out. We must evacuate this plane. And uh, for a couple of days, the story was going around the news, and I, I, I love watching these things, and, and especially when there's a good, good ending to it, and, and to see that this plane um, was, was safe and everyone got off. But then after a couple of days, it, 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 it took a little twist. It took a wee twist. And the, the people were saying, if that plane was on fire and that captain had called for everybody to evacuate, why are they walking off with their luggage? And then the pictures appeared of people with all their hand luggage and their suitcases. And then there was reports that people had been trying to take their luggage off, which then meant that the people behind them were in danger and couldn't get off the plane because somebody wanted to cling on to these belongings. And it, it stated clearly, as you've all known when you've flown, that when, if there's an emergency, you just get off that plane. You leave whatever's there and you get off that plane, you take your family and you get out of there. And I wondered about our Christian life as there things in that, that illustration that are we clinging on to things. You see, things like lust, 
things like uh, uh, pornography and, and all these different things. You know, when I was worshiping, Zara had said to me when I was preparing that people like honesty and they like our story, and I'd mentioned the swearing when I was saved, but I had a massive issue with lust. I had a massive issue with women. When I was, uh, before I was saved, it would be normal to, to meet somebody on a Friday and sleep with her, and then meet somebody on a Saturday and sleep with her. That was life, and, and do you know where it started was when I was 17, and somebody said to me, are you still a virgin? And I felt so awkward, and I said, yeah, and he says, I think I was 16, he said, 16, I'm still a virgin. You better get a move on. And I think that was the moment that Satan got in, and, and it changed, and I just went on this drive, and here I was 10 years later, sleeping about and, and not even knowing people's names or waking up in strangers' houses. And that, to, to go from that to suddenly getting saved, it's not like it just disappears. I went through hard, hard nights, and I'm, I'm being completely honest, hard nights of the devil pounding me and pounding me and bringing back memory after memory and just feeling terrible, trying to get away from this, trying to escape it, trying to do what was right, but being pounded wave after wave of attack. Do you know, people say that if you come to church, that it's, it's needy people and it's soft people and it's, you know, if you're not a man if you're at church. I don't know many people who could stand and take attacks like that. I, I don't mean for me, I mean for all of us. People whose friends, when friends disown us because we become Christians. People who disown us. Family members who turn their back on us because they think we've lost it. And people say we're weak and we're soft. And we go through battles like that that people will never be aware of. And I went through that kind of stuff. And maybe you are as well, going through some of these battles of, of addiction. Maybe it's alcohol prescription drugs, I don't know, maybe it is pornography, maybe it is um, I, 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 you're, you've lost your sensitivity to the Holy Spirit and it's fine. The Bible says do not murder, do not steal, do not commit adultery, but we can watch all that in a program, it's fine. We can watch that in a movie, it's no bother. We've got to be aware of what we're feeding ourselves. Maybe sometimes we need to turn Hollyoaks off and pick up this as a suggestion that the Holy Spirit can move in us and can change us. It, it, the Bible reveals what we are and what we are not, but we'll only ever know when we start diving into it and building a relationship with God, defending our house. If I could leave you with that, in the plane that's on fire, cling on to nothing, just get out of there. That addiction, that, that diving into stuff on the internet, just leave it and get out of there. Jesus, he's the one who sits at the right-hand side of God. He's the one who sets us free. We can do nothing or undo nothing to be good or to, and to get salvation. It comes through Jesus Christ. Why don't we stand up as the band lead us in a song. There we go. Been waiting for that for a wee while. Now the anointing's arrived, Tim's keys. So I just, I'm going to close, I'm going to hand over to these guys. I hope that hasn't been a point the finger by any means. It's just something that's been burning inside me, especially for young people and young men and women of God, that we have to take responsibility. We are accountable to God. Jesus made a way that all that stuff could be
dealt with. He's the one who came and died on the cross for you and for I, so that anybody who accepted him and as their, as their savior asked for forgiveness, all of a sudden that stuff goes. There's a healing process. And time is short. It's like the plane. There's no time to mess about with luggage and baggage. There's no time to cling on to things that are here in this world, but will fade away later on. We've just got to get out of there. Jesus is the place we need to go. Jesus is the one we need to run to. Is he the one that's calling Mayday, Mayday with some of this stuff in your life? Has some of this stuff convicted you this morning? Has some of this stuff spoken to you? Men, women, parents, do we need to tighten up a little bit and be responsible for our families and not let Satan in to get the pillars in our homes to bring it down? Father God, we thank you so much. We praise your holy name, Jesus. We thank you that you are at the right-hand side of God, Father God. You died on the cross for each one of us, Father. I thank you that because of you, you've made a way for us to be with our Father. And I just praise you and thank you for forgiveness, Father. I pray for anybody in here this morning who's dealing with some stuff, Father God. We come against condemnation, Father God. We are all for conviction, Father. We pray that you would convict and highlight areas in our life that we need to tighten up on, that we need to brush up on baggage and wastage, things that are holding us back and potentially causing us to be in a dangerous place, Father God. We, we are leaving them behind right now in Jesus' name. We're leaving them behind and we're getting out of there, Father God getting out of there to freedom to be with you father i pray for anybody in here who does not know you jesus i pray that they would your holy spirit would speak to them right now father god that life is short and that we are accountable father god i pray for a, a hunger for you jesus a desire father we pray for anybody in here who wants to accept you right now in jesus all we have to say is the father i ask for forgiveness and I accept you as my saviour. And in those sm that small sentence, life changes. Father, we pray in your name. We pray, we welcome you. We pray your Holy Spirit would speak to us and convict us. In Jesus' name, we thank you. Amen.